Welcome to Marvel's Voices. I am your host, Anjali Brochet, and I am so excited that you are back this week because today we have our second creator-led conversation where I am inviting a guest to sit in the host chair as I get to join you and listen in. This week, we have writer Preeti Chibber hosting the episode, which is all about her favorite topic, Spider-Man. As you may know, this year is the 60th anniversary of the first time that Spider-Man, aka Peter Parker, swung into the pages and the hearts of Marvel fans in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Now, fast forward six decades, and we have seen a lot of other spider heroes besides Peter. We've seen Penny Parker, Hobie Brown, Cindy Moon, Miguel O'Hara, Anya Corazon, and of course, Miles Morales. The current run of Miles Morales Spider-Man is being written by today's guest, the brilliant Saladin Ahmed. Hi, Preeti. Hi. This is my third time podcasting with Preeti. I interviewed Preeti before even her first Spidey book was announced, but I cannot wait because so much has changed (laughs) and I could not think of a more perfect host to come on our episode about these spider people and the 60th anniversary of spider-man like Ah! you're not just a true believer you're a true webhead i would hope so one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me is when they announced i have a series with scholastic and marvel called avengers assembly and when they announced it in the press release they wrote (laughs) a new middle grade series Avengers Assembly, written by Spider-Man superfan and author Preeti Chipper. (laughs) Because it's true. It's true, but the first book's about Ms. Marvel. It made me laugh so hard because it's not inaccurate. (laughs) So I I love that because you have been a former guest on the show to talk about all of Z-books. Where does your love for the Spidey people come from? I think it's the relatability. I mean, Peter Parker was my Spider-Man growing up, and he just consistently messes up. But it's okay because he keeps trying, and that is so real to me. You're never going to get it right all the time, but you just keep trying and hope for the best. And sometimes it'll go so, so, so wrong. But ideally, you'll come out the other side. (laughs) It's such like I love it. I love it. And we've talked about a number of Spidey people before, but you have a very specific love for Peter. Like whether it is, you know, Marvel Spider-Man for PlayStation, whether it's the movies, whether it's the comics, like you really love Peter. Yeah. I like to joke that my favorite Peter is like mid-20s does not have his crap together, Peter, because it's like, yes, you're a superhero, but like you didn't pay your rent, man. Like that to me (laughs) is... So wonderful. You should have been evicted so many times. I know. And it's such, but it's such great storytelling, right? Because like you identify so heavily with that. And like if I had grown up with, say, Miles or even like Spider Gwen, the same way that I grew up with Peter, like that's kind of where my love of Peter comes from is that I was growing up and watching him go through the things I was going through, except that he was a superhero. (laughs) That was the difference. (laughs) And I love that you brought up Miles because Miles is kind of like that for new generation, although he's Mm -hmm. not 
hit 20s yet because nope. comics. And we're going to be actually talking to one of my favorite people, our friends, colleagues, really well known for writing a couple Spidey people. He's actually written a Peter Parker story. He's been on the ongoing series from Miles Morales and is, in fact, the first person of color to write an ongoing series from Miles Morales, which is absolutely amazing and has been doing some incredible work with Javier Guerron as well as some other artists. It's just a crazy, amazing series. And you're going to be bringing your podcasting skills here <laughs> yeah, today so. <laughs> in interviewing him. Like, are you excited? I am excited. I am excited. I have been living in... Peter Parker's world for the last few years because I have a trilogy coming out or like the first book in the trilogy coming out this year in July for Peter which is called Spider-Man Social Dilemma and I am excited to talk to Saladin about writing everybody but especially his work on Miles which has been so fun and iconic and adventurous and we're a little over a decade into Miles's story now like in terms of when Miles premiered and all of that and like that's a lot of story right like we're 60 years into Pete's story and we're just over 10 years into Miles but it's still so much story so it's exciting to see how Saladin has continued to make it feel fresh and fun and continues to uh, make sure that he is a teenager in yep. all of the senses of the word, yep. whether it's clothes, he is definitely it. So I know we could talk about Spidey people and all of these things for hours, yep. but you have an interview. <laughs> I do. I have an interview to do. Should we start it? Go for it. Saladin, hello! I am so excited to talk to you about Spidey People. I guess to start, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about some of your amazing work? <laughs> I'm Saladin Ahmed, and I have written a couple of different spider things. I'm currently the uh, writer on Miles Morales and kind of have been for the past several years. And I'm right now doing a little spin on Amazing Spider-Man, in which Ben Riley is sort of currently filling the role of at least Manhattan's Spider-Man while Peter is laid up and in pretty gruesome condition. And uh, I'm also writing for Marvel Unlimited, a digital exclusive title, a horror title called Spine Tingling Spider-Man that's sort of about sleep deprivation and other horrors. So it's, it's fun to kind of tackle different corners of the spider universe. So you have been a Marvel fan since you were a kid. Yes. You're a long, long time follower of Marvel. What was your introduction to the comics? Gosh, you know, I've tried to recollect that before, and I'm not positive the very first comic that I read by Marvel. I think it may have been a Conan comic, believe it or not. But I definitely kind of found my groove as a young reader with comics rather than with fiction. And it was X-Men on the one hand, very much so. But the other constant was Peter. This was a time when Amazing Spider-Man was going as a book. Spectacular was going. There was a comic called Web of Spider-Man at the time. And they were all sort of slightly different takes on different angles of his life. And this was sort of hard luck, 20s Peter, scruffy-faced and uh, barely getting by. And even as a kid, there was something about that hard luck dude that appealed to me. And so... When I came to Marvel, I actually wrote, before I came to write the Miles book, I wrote an amazing Spider-Man annual that was sort of 
set in that era, the kind of 80s Bronze Age era that starred the alien suit before it became Venom. And that was sort of my way to kind of explore Peter, but I knew I wanted to keep messing with him. He's fun to mess with. I think that's why the way he responds is so delightful. And that's why I think so many writers put him through so much. (laughs) He's so earnest, but just it'll never work out how you want it to, Pete. Like, it's I'm so sorry. It's just too fun. So now you are kind of in this position where you are writing canon for some of our favorite, favorite characters like Quicksilver, Black Bolt, Miss Marvel, and of course, so many spider people. And you mentioned this like Spider-Man annual that you did before you started doing Miles, but how did you get involved with Marvel? Like, how did it all start? So it's interesting. I was actually a fiction writer primarily and uh, had a you know pretty acclaimed fantasy novel out there and had sort of stalled actually in the world of fiction a little bit, had some blocks as we do sometimes as writers and kind of didn't know where I was going. And, you know, I'd been raised by Marvel as a reader. And even when I wrote poetry, wrote short fiction, all, all that DNA was still, that world would call to me. And so when I was sort of wondering what I was going to do next as a writer, an editor at Marvel, Will Moss, came to me based on that science fiction and fantasy writing and asked me if I wanted to tackle uh, one of Marvel's more kind of science fictional, fantastical heroes, Black Bolt, right? It was a bit out of the blue and just felt really, um, it felt like fate. So I actually started to talk to Will about an idea that I'd had centered on, on Crusher Creel, the absorbing man, about incarceration and supervillains and all this stuff. And it happened to overlap perfectly with what he was proposing for Black Bolt. So those ideas kind of started to flow together beautifully. And working with a Marvel editor, working with a brilliant artist, Christian Ward, I kind of started to flow again as a writer, really. There's something about writing novels that's very isolating. You're there in a room, as you know, Preeti, (laughs) (laughs) right? That is very, it takes a certain kind of isolation and solitary mindset that I wasn't in at the time, whereas comics is super collaborative. You're working with an artist, you're working with a writer, and especially in a universe like Marvel's, you're working with kind of the canon that's come before, right? And so I, with that collaboration, just sort of unlocked and started churning out scripts. And uh, it was sort of like with Marvel, like more and more, give me more. And they were like, here, write a Quicksilver book, write a new Exiles book. And uh, (laughs) as you do, (laughs) it worked, it worked, it worked. And so Fast forward a few years, I've written just dozens and dozens of issues in the Marvel Universe, and it's delightful. If I could go back and tell my kids self that, I'd be so stunned that I I might not believe it. So I did, I wanted to ask you, because we both understand the importance of representation and understand what it's like growing up and searching for that thing across fiction, across movies, across whatever, and so... As a kid and as a writer now and as a fan now, are there books that you love that you saw yourself represented in and that you see yourself represented in? It's interesting because I think I looked harder because I wasn't there and and tried to see myself in places that weren't quite me, but that were something closer to me than what I usually saw, I suppose. And, and, you know, I mentioned X-Men earlier. That was probably the first place that I came to that. You know, it wasn't a perfect set of representations or whatever, but Chris Claremont was working hard to try and have a lot of people have their stories told there in a way that just like 
when I think about what the landscape was like then, it was really just, I, I'm getting choked up right now thinking about it, man, because it meant so much to me to see people with different kinds of names, different kinds of skin tones, different kinds of ways of looking at the world, all kind of working together on a, on a super team. That meant a lot to me to see that. But at the same time, my specific experience, for instance, as a Muslim or as an Arab person, I did not see that represented. And in general, that sort of representation that X-Men did was a rarity. In pop culture in general, it was and still is a, a very white-dominated and a very not-diverse set of representations that don't reflect the world around us. And so whenever you see something that comes close to doing so, you get very excited by it. I was such a dork that the fact that the Black Panther's name almost sounded Arabic, right, was, like, exciting to me, right? And so... <laughs> and to think, though, these were obscure characters at the time, of course, right? Not just T'Challa, but, like, Iron Man was, you know? And so to think that we're in a world now where people know who all these different characters are and that Marvel's been pretty instrumental in kind of putting that stuff out there is, is great to me. So there are people doing it now. And I think one of the things that was really exciting to me was like as an adult seeing Ms. Marvel pop up, you know? Yep. You know, I was a grown man when that book came out. It wasn't like I was a kid finally seeing myself mm -hmm. or something. And the same with Miles. It was like these were not established characters when I was a kid, right? And so I saw them be born. I saw a certain segment get mad about it. I saw a much, much, much bigger segment be thrilled by it, right? And at the time, I was just like, good. Thank goodness, right? The idea that then I would turn around and be helping forge the mythologies for these characters is just so exciting, so fun. And, and you see how much it means to people. You see the diverse range of people who are affected by this, who are mm -hmm. thrilled by it. You start to try and put your own stamp on it. So it's always work that remains to be done. It's never complete, but uh, it's a really fun way to do it, telling superhero stories. Yeah, I think I was in the same boat when Miss Marvel launched. I was in my late 20s. And I remember going to a convention and seeing the wide range of people who are cosplaying as her. And in the same way, I think that I related to Peter Parker when I was a kid with whom I did not share any sort of like cultural background other than we were both American you see how people connect to her from anywhere. And obviously, like, as a South Asian woman, I was like, this is the most amazing thing that's ever <laughs> happened in the history of comics. But it's really wonderful to watch how comics and how comic characters can connect so many of us in that way. And so you've written cross-genre, poetry, short stories, podcasts, novels. Like, you're you're all over the place. But what is it about comics specifically and superhero comics that drew you in and continue to draw you in? How do you approach it versus these other things that you create? Well, I think the fact that superhero stories usually sort of take place in some version, at least, of our own world, as opposed to, you know, I've written far future stuff. I've written fantasy stuff that takes place in a, in a pseudo medieval era or, you know, galactic empire. But the stories that take place in New York City, in Brooklyn, in Queens, whatever, right about now, they feel different. And I think that superhero stories, there's just something, you know, of course, there are science fiction and fantasy stories that are contemporary stories as well. But there's something about the superhero DNA. People have been telling these stories this way, to some degree, for decades and decades, right? But then putting their own spin on it as each kind of 
generation comes and goes and does it differently. And I think there's something to that kind of layering that I think is, is really unique. I want to say people could say this, this thing about Kamala was Saladin, or this thing about Miles is something that Saladin did. The way that Peter has, you know, 60 years uh, or, or whatnot of mythology. I often talk to people about this stuff because there's a hunger out there especially in Hollywood, for instance, to have the next Marvel universe, you know? And um, I often tell them you can't rush a tree, you know? There's literally nothing but time that will make this thing become this big and complex and beautiful. And uh, being a part of something like that is always exciting because it connects to people that came before and it connects to people all over the world, you know? Seeing what one kid in... Palestine versus one kid in India versus an old lady in Botswana thinks about like, you know, Spider-Man. Lots of them have opinions about Spider-Man, people all these places. So speaking of Miles and, and the last few years that you've been writing him, there's a lot. There's new love interests, new friends, a new haircut, a new costume, clones. So if people are listening and sort of catching up, like what has Miles been up to in your run? Yeah, it's been really exciting to have that long runway to do this stuff. So, um, you know, I've tried to create a rogues gallery for Miles, as it were, and, and a set of his own villains that he's been dealing with. And that's been really exciting. Um, some of them are alternate versions of him, uh, including the clone Salim, which, yes, is the word Miles backwards. Amazing! But, but also <laughs> means pure, in a kind of arrogant way, in Arabic, which to me, I was like, I knew that as soon as I took the Miles book, I was like, there will be a Salim in this book, right? <laughs> so um, it was just too fortuitous. And so, but there's also a good clone, Shift, who is sort of Miles' adoptive brother living currently in the sewers, a sort of a Phantom of the Opera slash Frankenstein slash The Blob version of Miles. And um, Glurp. <laughs> yes, yes. He, he has one word, <laughs> but he <laughs> conveys a lot with it glurp and um <laughs> i mean just building that kind of a uh, pantheon around him i mean i've been wanting to explore his rogues gallery and so we've been able to uh finally pay off some threads that we've been uh, laying for the past couple of years really with a really nefarious villain named the assessor and Ooh. that kind of stuff building big villains for a newish character like miles or kamala and giving them the kind of same pedigree slowly but surely that a character like Peter or Tony has is a big part of the thrill for me. So so we've done that. We've given him new family members and his sister, Billy, who we'll see some kind of neat new stuff from in the near future. But it's also been important to touch base with his touchstones. And so we've I've tried to kind of get back to Genki here and there, who I love, you know, but it's always a challenge to balance the familiar and the beloved with the new and to grow these characters. So, so Starling, Tiana Toomes, currently Miles is, uh, well, I don't know what they're calling it, but they're, they're together. <laughs> and um, I won't put any labels on it that we haven't seen canonically yet in the comics. <laughs> but right now they're obviously uh, quite smitten with each other and uh, kind of watching out for each other. And Tiana is from Detroit, which is where I'm from. So I knew that another thing when I came to Marvel was that I was going to start establishing Michigan characters. Because <laughs> not everyone's from Manhattan as much as we love New York City. So just kind of putting all of that stuff. And, you know, people have all responded really well. People have had a really 
wonderful response, particularly to the Miles run and to building that legacy for Miles and building that canon for Miles as people have been nothing but supportive about and uh, excited for it. So it's been thrilling. How do you think his character has evolved in the last few years? That's interesting. I think he's kind of developed, a, you know, for instance, him having a little sister is he's kind of tried to grow a little bit in terms of being a, uh, a protector. You know, he's been in some situations where his folks were in danger and he had to kind of step up. And I also think he's not growing in some ways. He's having some problems still. He's got some rage issues that he knows he has. I don't think you can punch people as much as superheroes do without kind of dealing with some anger issues. And I think Miles is a teenage boy. I think from my experience, many times teenage boys have anger issues. And so, but he's, he's a sweetheart. So he knows that and he's trying to do better. So exploring that stuff again has also been cool. But the balancing act in writing superheroes is that Miles isn't going to college next year. Sorry for spoilers, but you know, we are sort of part of the pact that we make with our audience, with other writers, is that certain things remain a kind of status quo, right? And so Mm -hmm. growing these characters without fundamentally transforming who they are is part of the like really fun puzzle to me. And so uh, I'm having a blast doing it with Miles. So for you, not just as a fan, but as a parent, as somebody who knows how powerful these books can be in young people's lives, What does it mean to you to be writing a young superhero like Miles and particularly a Spider-Man of color? Like, does that feel significant? Yeah, it feels hugely significant. I mean, I knew it was when I took on the gig. You know, part of it is sort of like acknowledging what you know and what you don't know, knowing you'll get things wrong. Miles is African-American. I'm not. Never dealt with that. Right. But I've dealt with experiences as an Arab-American man that resonate with some of his, right? My Spanish sucks, right? (laughs) Where Miles is, his isn't great, but it's probably better than mine. But I, you know, I come from a neighborhood where people speak two languages, right? And so I know what that's like. And so you kind of draw on what you know and acknowledge your limitations in terms of, of telling these stories. To me, doing that has been really important in kind of connecting with readers and people have been very gracious in terms of, uh, in terms of like, for instance, my bad Spanglish, but being <laughs> thrilled to see Spanglish there at all. Right. And again, when you just connect with audiences at a convention online and letters they send in, it's apparent how important these characters are to a wide variety of folks and a young character in particular and a character of color in particular, a black character in particular, a Puerto Rican character in particular, you know, these are, things that people are hungry for. And again, you try and feed them and, and acknowledge maybe you're not a perfect chef, right? My, my kids will be very quick to remind me that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a 40 something year old man writing a young man. I don't, <laughs> you know, It was a delight when Javier came on the book and Carmen and all the various artists who've been kind of contributing to the book sort of been a crutch for me because they've made Miles's clothes much cooler than I would because I, <laughs> I don't know what's cool, right? But uh, <laughs> But, you know, again, you try and you try and do a little bit better than what's been done before. And uh, people respond to it. I mean, I uh, you'd think I was much hipper than I am by the some of the sweet things people have to say about the book. So it's been really nice. I am visualizing the script right now with just brackets that say insert something that looks cool here. (laughs) 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 This smiles solo team behind it is so unique in that there have been so many people of color crafting canon. What has that been like? 
Oh, it's been awesome. It's just been um, all the artists that I've worked on over this run have been fantastic and brought different perspectives. People drawing on all sorts of backgrounds that I think widen the scope of the book. And it's been it's been thrilling. It's exciting to see just little touches like everything from a storefront to what Miles' mom might be wearing to... You know, we've had a delightful range of artists from Javier, who started us out, to Natasha Bustos, to Carmen, who are not necessarily a typical American comic artist. I think it enriches the book, definitely. So pulling back a little bit and thinking big picture Spider-Man, obviously Spider-Man, the title Spider-Man is, it's a pretty big deal. It's special. It's truly like not just Peter Parker, not just Miles Morales, not just all, like we have so many spider people now and there's something really beloved in the Marvel universe around like webheads. So what do you think is something that makes that title so important? Wow. (laughs) Uh, It's (laughs) It's a big question. (laughs) It's really fun because right now, currently in the Beyond storyline, we've got a sort of contention about that with uh, corporate ownership of the Spider-Man name and Miles getting kind of called in and then Ben contesting (laughs) Peter having owned the trademark at one point and we get very ridiculous with it but delightfully so but kind of peeling back those comic book layers yeah there's some kind of questions in there about what that name means and what the ethos behind it means and you know for me having written several of these folks now I think as opposed to just being a superhero generally I think being Spider-Man really means that you are a street-level superhero, that you are, in one of the monikers, a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, right? And that you are here for the neighborhood. Sometimes maybe you're there for the universe, even for the multiverse, but uh, I think your home, your purpose for being, and why the world needs you is the block. It's not other planets. And to me, that speaks most directly to what I really consider a hero in real life, I guess. I grew up, my dad ran a social services agency, fed people, helped people get jobs. And um, to me, like shooting a bad guy, that's not my kind of heroism. Helping people who are having problems and showing them that you can get back up again after you get beat down is my kind of heroism. And that's that's why people respond when they see Peter under a, a ton of rock kind of standing up anyway. It's not because he's so tough. It's because he's doing it because he's got to help somebody. You know? I get choked up thinking about that. I love it. And that's the kind of hero I was meant to write. I love that answer so much because I think it hits on everything that makes every spider person great because you're right, that is sort of the ethos behind the mask. So as a writer, you have had the opportunity to kind of see firsthand what the impact of these books and of what these stories can do. And what do you think, you know, we talked about what you see the mantle of Spider-Man meaning, but what do you think it means to fans? Are there any stories that you think epitomize what the Spider-Man title means? So the interesting thing to me was actually with the uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie. Mm -hmm. I made a very conscious. So while that was in production, I was just starting my run on Miles. So, you know, that was all set long before my Miles comics came out for the first film. But, you know, I could have had a glimpse of what was going on there and sort of very deliberately was like, 
I do not want to do that. I'm going to write my story. <laughs> and I, on opening day, I went like a civilian and uh, took my kids and ate popcorn and had fun. And everything was a surprise. And it was awesome. It was perfect. And the thing that I saw in the response to that movie was just people sort of understanding that anyone can wear the mask and sort of this idea that heroism isn't reserved for people who look a certain way or people whose names are a certain type or uh, people who are from a certain background and seeing by and large a huge swath of people, even people who aren't necessarily comic book readers, get excited about that idea of what a superhero means I think only Spider-Man, you know, that's not something the Hulk is going to do for people <laughs> as much as I love Bruce, you know? Anyone can be angry all the time. <laughs> so that's that's a uniquely Spider-Man thing to me. And it was awesome seeing it unfold with Miles for this generation as much as, you know, for my kids, Miles is as much Spider-Man as, as Peter is, you know, maybe more so. And so it's great to be, there's a lot of horrible things in this world, but that's a nice thing in this world. Yeah, there's a moment in the comic Spider-Verse, the dance lot event, where I've written about it, I think, for Marvel. And, and it's one of my favorite things that has happened in the comics where you have Pavitra Prabhakar, Spider-Man <laughs> India. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's sitting there and he's going through like an identity crisis of like, am I not Spider-Man? Mm. Like, is that the real Spider-Man? And I think it's Spider-Man UK who's like, who? No, you're Spider-Man. Like, yeah. you are Spider-Man. Yeah. You have the title. Like, you're Spider-Man. And it's awesome. So there is so much more Spider-Man coming. Like we're really excited about all the stories that will be coming out this year. What do you have coming for Miles? And what are you most excited for people to read and to start like feeling feelings about? <laughs> well, I'm uh, very excited about Miles in particular, Path. Sort of been expanding his world slowly a little bit over the past couple of arcs, and that's going to blow up in a big way. One of the delights about writing a, a book over a course of several years is you can plant seeds that finally pay off. And so, in the next few issues of Miles, some stuff that's been brewing for a very long time with longtime villains, with family stuff, is going to start kind of blowing up in a really big way. And uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but some of this is stuff I've been thinking out for years and i'm super excited for people to check it out oh i'm so excited it's gonna be so many good stories you know it is the 60th anniversary of spider-man which is as we said a very very long time it is a lot of complicated stories and sometimes if you have not if you're not a spider-man connoisseur or if you haven't picked up a book you might not even know where to start so saladin i want to ask if somebody wanted to pick up spider-man today do you have any favorites that you would recommend? It is confusing sometimes to folks kind of uh, coming <laughs> to the comics for the first time. I think that one of the things to take away from that is there are a lot of entry points. There's not exactly a right one, despite what the internet may tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I will shamelessly plug my own Miles Morales run, which uh, started with number one very intentionally for folks who'd never read necessarily a Miles comic, a Spider-Man comic, a comic period. But there are lots of other folks who've done similar runs. Everything from Sean and McGuire's Ghost Spider to Dan Slott's Spider-Verse comics, which maybe are uh, a little layered in their mythology, but I think are pretty friendly to new folks. Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man run, which is wrapping up here, starts with a really friendly number one. 
There's a Tom Taylor series called Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, if you love Peter, launches from the beginning. And then there's comics for younger readers, too. Sometimes some of this storytelling is surprisingly mature. And so uh, <laughs> so there have been various Spider-Man comics that are aimed at younger readers. But I think the big thing to take away is that there's not a, a single entry point. I do think it's fun and interesting and surprisingly exciting after you've found your entry point to go back and check out, you know, the first issues. Stan and Steve, that stuff is just such raw storytelling power that everything that might be old-fashioned about it or that may have changed with the times, it's just, it's like dynamite. So I think that going back to some of the old school stuff and then continuing forward right through uh, some of the little bit darker 70s stuff into some of the 80s runs, it's all good stuff. If you dive into the clone saga stuff, (laughs) just be ready to get sort of willingly lost and that's fine too. (laughs) To me, that's the awesomeness of having such a thick and long mythology is that there are a bunch of different ways to get into it and then to find your way through. I think some people expect there's an official number one. That's the wrong way to approach Spidey, as it is with uh, Hercules, not the Marvel character Hercules, but the mythological character, right? Any big, long myth like that has a hundred doors that you enter it through. And I think that's part of the fun. Yeah, I think those are all amazing things to pick up. As a kidlit person, I'm going to recommend 2014's Spidey series. I think it's Robbie Thompson was the writer on it. And it's one of my favorite, favorite kind of back to basics, non-sort of continuity Spider-Man stories that is perfect for younger readers. So much good stuff. Thank you so much for talking to me about Spider-Man. Where can people find you? Well, I'm on the uh, comic shelves every month in the pages of Miles and ducking in and out of various Peter projects as well. I've always got something brewing with Marvel and I've got lots of my own projects going as well. So you don't have to look too hard to find my comics. I've been trying to spend less time on social media, so I'm less there nowadays. But the work is out there for people to dig. And uh, like I say, I'm particularly excited with what we've got going for Miles in the next few months. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. Preeti, that was so amazing. Oh my God. Y'all were the best. That was really fun. I love that y'all had a chance to talk about old Spider-Man and new Spider-Man and Miles and clones. Oh, and you got to talk about his little sister, Billy. Oh my gosh. She actually made a cameo in Marvel's Voices Community. That is in the first story written by another Marvel's Voices essayist, David Betancourt, and legendary artist, Aletha Martinez. That's awesome. That's the best part of comics. I love that. I think one of the best things about the interview, though, was just like hearing how excited you both were and how much you were both such huge Spider-Man fans. It's really nice to, one, talk to somebody who is in it, right? Like who is like in it, in it when you're talking about a character. And second, you know, I've been, like I said, like living in Peter Parker land for the last few years. And it's also nice to be that some of the things that I've put into my book to get validated 
while we're having the conversation because <laughs> you're like in your head for so long and then you're talking you're like yeah that is one of the best things about him you're right <laughs> wait so we have to take a second we didn't get a chance to really talk about it at the beginning but you have a spider-man trilogy yeah tell me about this what is your spider-man trilogy about i know it was just recently announced yeah it's prose it's not a comic the first book comes out july of this year it's called Spider-Man's Social Dilemma. It is like its own continuity. And so Peter is 16. He's in high school. He's been Spider-Man for like a little while. And he's got a lot going on. You know, Mary Jane's in it. When I said I wanted to write it, I was like, I want to write a rom-com. <laughs> he's dealing with villains we know. Like the first book has Sandman in it and maybe something a little creepier and something a little new. I'm so excited about it. I love it so much. So how does it feel to go from, as they called you, Spider-Man superfan <laughs> to Spider-Man author? It's weird. It's fun. It's very wild when you're like, I love this character so much and getting to kind of highlight all the things you love about them and put them into your own story is something that I genuinely can't believe is actually happening. Like, I... Before the announcement happened, I was like, what if they don't release it and no one ever knows that I wrote a Spider-Man book? That was like my nightmare scenario. And so it's it's very strange. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm just so excited. Thank you so much for bringing all of your amazing love and incredible energy to Marvel's Voices. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I will always take time in the afternoon to talk about Spider-Man. Always. It is always a pleasure and an honor to have both Preeti and Saladin on Voices, so much a part of the family. So I just want to say a special thank you to Saladin for coming on to Marvel's Voices and a huge thank you to Preeti for taking on the host role. I loved getting to listen into that conversation. And if you like these creator-led conversations, let us know. Maybe we'll do more of them in the future. In the meantime, we have one more episode left in the season. Legendary crime fiction writer Walter Mosley, who is currently writing a miniseries starring The Thing called The Next Big Thing. Marvel's Voices is produced by Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk, and me, Angelique Rocher. Our creative producer is Harry Goh. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Larissa Rosen, and our executive producer is Jill Duball. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamau Wainaina. 